0: Go Deep. Welcome back to GDP Go Deep the Podcast. You can find us on most forms of social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can also reach out to the cast, TO Big Show, Lord Fawn, Motorsports Mofo, Sturzy, Big Mikey, Astra Moon, and Sassy K. Thank you for your support and remember always Go Deep all right folks welcome back to another episode of GDP go deep the podcast on today's show we have something very special for you I've been wanting to talk about this for a little while but I've been waiting for my character and yes I know it sounds funny a character a character that has wanted to be on the show but he's just been so busy and whatnot but now without any further ado I'd love to welcome Alan Smithy how are you buddy
1: Hey, man. Thanks for finally having me on. And again, I'm sorry about the delay, but very happy to be here. Big fan of the show and happily this all worked out and uh, we can get together and talk about whatever you want to talk about.
0: Yes. Well, this is I just want to bring it to everybody's attention that you are a, a big fan of the DC universe.
1: Yeah, I'm a huge. So as on the nerd scale, very much a DC guy. I'm not prejudiced against Marvel. I'm um, many, many Marvel characters are very near and dear to my heart, especially Alpha Flight. But as things go, uh, I'm very much a DC guy, DC Universe guy. Uh, growing up, it was either uh, you were either a fan of the Teen Titans or the X Men, and I was very much on the Teen Titans side. Okay. Um, yeah, so, and also a big fan of Star Wars, a uh, yes. huge Star Wars nerd.
0: I love Star Wars too. And talking about that, let's just get right into it. Yep. So, yep. The Mandalorian. That right, series was really well made in my opinion, but I, I, I don't, I, no one's here to listen to my opinion. They want to hear your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: okay, so let's uh, let me talk just very briefly about my sort of Star Wars credentials. Yes, Star Wars itself and the fandom surrounding Star Wars is incredibly diverse and at times very toxic. Anyone who's listening, who is a, a diehard Star Wars fan, I apologize if I take opinions that um, you don't share. It's not my Uh, intention to offend anyone just star wars is a very very touchy subject especially the last five or six years going forward i am an og star wars uh person i saw the first star wars in 1977 when i was seven years old uh empire in 1980 when i was 10 and jedi i saw jedi probably for seven weeks in a row on a saturday when i was 13 oh wow um yeah so i'm i'm an og star wars fan but I, I, and I need to mention this going forward, because it's important for anyone who's listening who is a Star Wars fan, that my interest in Star Wars and and my fandom is in a very, very limited range. So the fact that I love The Mandalorian so much amazed even myself, because I am, and this is a controversial opinion, I am not at all a fan of uh, sort of the expanded star wars universe okay i really only have interest in stories involving the the basic original trilogy core of characters Uh, the other controversial opinion that i have that is hugely diversive in the star wars community is that i'm a big fan of what disney's done and other than the last jedi which i didn't like at all yeah uh, i've been a huge huge supporter of uh, Disney and what they've done with respect to their handling of Star Wars. And I think The Mandalorian, to circle back and to draw everything together, is the absolute perfect synthesis of Disney and Star Wars, making a show that is utterly uh, fantastic and fun and accessible to absolutely anyone. So you can be a Star Wars fan, uh, a huge hardcore Star Wars fan like myself, And there's lots of fan service in the Mandalorian. You can be someone like my significant other, my partner, who comes from a time where when they grew up, uh, had never seen Star Wars. In wow. fact, I introduced Star. Yeah, I introduced Star Wars to my partner. You know, and my partner absolutely loves The Mandalorian uh, for different reasons than I do, and yet for many of the same reasons that I do. So, yeah, I'm not. I've never been a fan of the extended universe, and and the extended universe is one of these things that most Star Wars fans hold near and dear to their uh, their fandom. Okay. But I love The Mandalorian so uh now you've seen it what do you think
0: okay so when i watched the mandalorian i also am a fan of the older star wars i have watched the new stuff and i agree with you that there's it just seems well you didn't really say it but i feel like this is what you think it's kind of just more regurgitated of the same thing just in a different order
1: right correct absolutely and you know one of the big criticisms of the the last three star wars films the uh the, the sort of the remnant Skywalker, the ones with Ray and Kylo Ren. One of the big criticisms, especially of the, the first and the last one, were that they are basically rehashing of the core Star Wars. Yes. That's why I love them. I love my expectations of Star Wars are not for something deep, but for something that delivers a lot of fan service. I'm here because I'm a Star Wars fan. Give me the things that I'm looking for in Star Wars. And, the and then I'll love it. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing, too, and I need to be said is if you're not, like, for example, if you're a big fan of The Last Jedi, I totally respect that. And I'm not here to tell you your opinion is wrong. Your opinion is just as valid as mine is for what you like and what you don't like. But I'm very kind to you and grateful you had me onto the podcast to talk about what I like. And what I like is The Mandalorian very much.
0: Well, The Mandalorian is very interesting. I found with the first season of The Mandalore, they didn't yeah. have to do a lot of hype, I don't think, because they just did everything kind of the right pace. like every, Absolutely. Every episode, yeah. it, like, it starts off with like a bit of a slow burn. And, you know, as yeah. it's explaining a little backstory and a little bit of where we're going, it's, like, yeah. all of a sudden, boom, there's, like, a punch of action, and then you're, like, oh, and it's, like, it's not, like, rushed, it's, like, very, like, slowly digested, the way that Star Wars, in my opinion, was meant to be, like, it's not meant to always be, like, boom, boom, pow, and then, like, all this story, and you're getting, like, wow. bored, and you're, like, okay, well, I love the backstory, but give me a little bit more, but. I feel like The Mandalorian just kind of has that perfect speed for me.
1: Absolutely. And its pacing, I think, and its style and the way the show was set up is uh, swinging back to what I was saying, but sort of the perfect merge of Disney and Star Wars. It is literally a perfect television show. There are two, they're basically two types of TV shows. Yeah. The episode by episode or one long, drawn-out story. So if you think about a show like Game of Thrones, you can drop yourself into an episode of Game of Thrones and figure it out, but there's so much going on that you really do need to watch everything else. Whereas with The Mandalorian, it was specifically designed so that you could drop in and catch an episode, and it's enriching and entertaining that it can stand alone, and yet also pique your interest that, hey, I want to see more of it. Also, you can watch it a little bit out of order and not be lost. So for example, there's an episode where they're going to rescue a prisoner on a rebel transport or or a rebel prison ship. See, you can watch that towards the beginning of the series or where it fit towards the end, and it doesn't really mess with your understanding of the show that's good television that's actually professionally planned tv from the point of making it accessible to the public and that's one of the one of the things i love about the mandalorian is that the idea of drawing more people into star wars fandom that's just a wonderful thing even though it is you know universally known the more people that can watch it on a on a regular basis, the the better it is.
0: Oh, 100 percent Even the music yep. I found was right right oh, off. The point. music
1: is fantastic. It's just, you know, it's it's got um it's got a very good mixture of sort of the, the seventh samurai type, uh traditional kung fu movies, that kind of sound, but yeah. also a western. If you were to take those two type of archetypes and that you think about the traditional Sergio Leone Westerns. And the uh, Kurosawa, uh you know, samurai movies mix those two sounds, those two feels together. You can really tell that John Favreau, who created the series, and Dave Filoni, who is the executive producer, they really, you can tell where they really feel that the, the show harkens to. It, and those, those two influences.
0: They didn't yeah. uh, just sit over a weekend and watch every Star Wars movie and then said, OK, no. this is the kind of music I want and this is the kind of tempo I want. It's like they yeah. locked themselves in a room for a year and they yeah. wrote it down like in point form in such a way that they would understand and if any normal human being would look at that point form they would be like oh this is a story this isn't point form
1: no that's right and it's just it's such a good it's such a tightly the concept you can tell that that favro and dave filoni and the folks responsible for lucasfilm this was really a labor of love for them this was something that they thought about extensively planned extensively and that the material the source material they're coming from and they weren't rushed about it it was just a labor of love. Now there there was a priority. I mean, they needed to get they needed to be locked in and done because this was the uh, jewel in the crown of the Disney Plus streaming service when Agreed. it debuted almost a year ago, and so this had to be perfect in order to to draw in the subscribers. And man, did they ever hit it out of the park! It's just such a such a wonderful show. Now I do have you know small criticisms here and there, but for the most part. It's just such a nicely, professionally put together, entertaining show. It's never boring, no. but like you said, it's got just a really nice pace to it Definitely. that makes it just interesting. So, Al, So the show Yeah, I was, yeah.
0: was going to say before we go into individual episodes and different sure. characters in this show from season one, what are some of the stuff that kind of like you kind of see and you're like,
1: oh, I wouldn't have done that? Well, there's, you know, I, I got to be honest, there's only. <laughs> I only have one really nitpicky criticism about the show. okay, And that was just, and it's, to me, it's a glaring, like, I don't focus on little Easter eggs or little mistakes that, that most people do, especially in nerd fandom, which is Star Wars is one of the sort oh, of boy. the anchor, yeah. uh, you know, most nerd fandom, uh, is very specific, but nitpicky about, Oh, this and that. Ah, uh, that's what can, pivoting elsewhere. What essentially drove people who used to write Star Trek crazy, because the Star Trek fandom is very, very nitpicky, and that, oh, that yeah. sort of nitpickiness draws itself over. But there's one thing that the only thing in The Mandalorian that troubled me at all in the early episodes, and again, spoilers, because I'm I'm just assuming most people have seen The Mandalorian. Very in one of the very early episodes, the Mandalorian's ship, the Razor Crest. Yeah, gets completely dismantled by Jawas. Yes. And that made zero sense to me because he is supposed to be, well, maybe not the best bounty hunter. He is supposed to be a very seasoned, very experienced bounty hunter. So you contrast this. So you have this impression coming in that he is this fearsome, nomadic, dangerous character. And yet. And everybody in Star Wars fandom understands how good Jawas are at scrapping, but the fact that his ship could be so utterly dismantled by Jawas is kind of surprising. So that happens, and then about three episodes later, uh, towards the season finale, when there's concern that the the child is is uh, in in a position where he may get kidnapped by the Empire. Uh, the Mandalorian mentions that make sure you get back to the ship. Once I arm the security system, nothing in the universe can get in there.
0: Yeah, well, so it contradicts itself it, right there. It
1: contradicts itself. And again, that's such a minor thing, but uh, it's just it's one of these glaring airs that just sort of stuck out for me of the show. And it maybe it's an unfair criticism. No, it sounds fair. I, I think I liked how at the beginning they made him seem vulnerable. So when he was. Fighting with the Jawas and trying to get on the sand crawler, he was beaten down. He had sort of um uh you know a diehard John McClain sort of vibe to him going on. He's you know, he's experienced and he's tough, and yet he just has that sort of sense of vulnerability where yeah, he's gonna take a big punch and he's gonna get hit, and he's gonna get knocked down. He's not this enigmatic, uh, fearsome character like Boba Fett. And yes, I know that Boba Fett was killed in a ridiculous way. We can talk about all the crap that is the return of the Jedi <sighs> later, but, but just, I liked how the Mandalorian has character and texture to him. And I think early on his, his fallibility works. And I would have been really happy had they left that part in where his ship got dismantled by the Jawas. had they not thrown in that line of get him back to the razor crest. Once I arm the security system, nothing in the universe can get in there. And I, uh, I apologize. I'm paraphrasing. Had they just pulled that, that, line out that would have made that particular moment uh, a little more in tune with the rest of the show you're had had the child safely made it back to the ship is the ship vulnerable of course it's vulnerable it's it's you know you saw it get dismantled by jawas so that setting that aside i thought the characterization how they built his character from beginning to end to be absolutely just marvelous you without ever seeing his face except for once you get a character that you believe uh, and you believe in and you believe is just uh, you want you want to care you care about going forward throughout the entire series
0: I think that's the only thing I didn't like like I I kind of glossed over the the fine detail that you were talking about about uh, yep. the ship and I think the only yep. way I think that would have made sense is if they would have showed him putting on a more secure system onto his ship. And then having yes. that line or, like you said, cut that line out.
1: Agreed. Yeah. Had they had you shown them, say had they had just a, a moment where he's like, okay, uh, and the Huguenot or the Ugnaught, I've, again, it's funny, a lot of character pronunciations I grew up with yeah. uh, because I was 10 when I first was introduced to the, I guess they're called Ugnauts, but yeah. I grew up calling them Huguenots I, I don't know why. It's just one of these. things. I was 10 when I saw yeah, Empire in 1980. So the Ugnaut. If they had just had a scene where they had Quill just say, you know, here, I've scrapped this this better security system for the Razor Crest, it's my gift to you. That would have all made sense, but just in any end, that's such a nitpicky thing. No, that's, uh, it, it makes just, sense.
0: I think also it, having him as like, because he was sort of like a teacher, like almost like a spiritual teacher to the Mandalorian. Very much so. So I think yeah. that scene that you're explaining would, would have been a very good addition and would have sure. built up to the, the depth of that character, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I think what makes Star Wars work is that it's like you said, uh, it, uh, he's a teacher. What makes Star Wars work for a lot of people is that the uh, characters are not so much characters, but they're archetypes. So the Ugnot quilt was the Ben Kenobi type of character, was the Qui-Gon yeah. Jin character who, you know, Star Wars, Star Wars succeeds because it's, uh, it has such powerful archetypes. And I think that is, again, one of the reasons why I don't enjoy the expanded universe, because every time they have a roguish character, I'm thinking, well, you know what, don't give me a story about this roguish character, just give me a Han Solo story. And when they have, you know, the the earnest and young, powerful Jedi, I'm like, give me a Luke Skywalker story, not this new character who they're trying to be Luke Skywalker. But with the Mandalorian while the while the show has those type of archetypes, it is just refreshingly, I never once sat down and thought to myself, you know what, I, I wish this was a Han Solo story, I wish this was a Boba Fett story or a Luke Skywalker story. The characters are so rich and original and interesting. It's like when they introduced Lando Calrissi. Uh Lando never felt like he was tacked on. Lando always felt like he was part of the story that had just not been revealed yet. And that's how I feel the characters in The Mandalorian are. They're characters that have always existed in the Star Wars universe. They'd just never been revealed to us, rather than a character that just sort of been tacked on for the sake of storytelling or for the sake of of anything. But just these characters were... Were well thought out and purposeful, and while well, archetypes in their own right uh, stand on their own in the Star Wars universe,
0: and I guess more importantly, they're organic, and that's more or less what everybody wants when they're watching a show of this type. I think.
1: God, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, very organic. Yeah, you can tell the difference with characters that are. If you, you know, and I, you are you are younger than me, so you are of the generation that came up with the, the Phantom Menace and uh, Attack of the Clones. And I know you've we've watched those movies again, yes. you see them, and some of those characters seem so, and I think it's partially because of George Lucas' directing, but the characters just seem so out of place or just sort of jammed in there for no reason altogether, whereas the characters and all the characters in The Mandalorian seem very very organic
0: no they definitely Uh, fit perfectly but I think going back to what I was saying with uh, issues I had with the show and like I said I glossed over that fine detail you brought up but now when you bring it up I'm like yeah that doesn't make sense the helmet I don't know why for me it's a it's it's an issue in terms of detail sure I feel like that should have been something that came down seasons down the pipe and I don't know why I just I feel like there's like this special power when you keep that helmet on and you keep that us, the subscribers, yes. the people watching. Yes. We, we're like, oh, fuck, I want to see that. But you don't get to see it and you just get like,
1: the, you mean the scene where he, he takes his helmet off? Yes. Yes. I agree with you on that. And there's that sort of leads into a little bit about sort of the intrigue and, and the mystery resu- um, surrounding season two. But I I am in total agreement with you. The mystery of the Mandalorian is the Mandalorian's mystery that he never takes his helmet off, and the fact that he did take his helmet off brought me out of the show a little bit. And as much as Pascal is a, a tremendous actor, I, that scene of him uh, of showing him uh, showing us his face was really truly unnecessary. Way too now, early. Now, some people have said way too early. Some people have said, "Well, if you go back to the original, the the." Um, the sort of the prequel trilogy, you see Django Fett's face. Well, Django Fett was a character on his own before he put their armor on. It's a different, it's a different situation. You were yes. introduced to Django and then when he put the armor on, you're like, ah, oh, that's who he is. But the Mandalorian, part of that mystery is who's underneath the helmet. What does the person look like underneath the helmet? So uh, I will bridge that to a little, a little controversy that's going on around uh, season two. There is a longstanding rumor, and there, there are at least a dozen videos on YouTube uh, concerning whether uh, you know The Mandalorian is actually going to be a big part of the, uh, of the second season. There is a rumor that Pedro Pascal walked off the set or left the show oh, no. partway through the season due to a dispute with, this, with the respect that he wanted his face to be seen. And this is always an issue with Hollywood. With the exception of one person, and that is uh, Ryan Reynolds. Most actors, when they do a genre-type superhero space sci-fi thing, it's all about who they are and their face and not about getting hidden in the mask all the time. That's why if you go back to the early Batman movies, you see Michael Keaton taking his mask off so much. If you look at the Marvel movies, you see Captain America without his hood on a lot. You see... Spider-Man, Tom Holland pulling the Spider-Man, you know, still being Spider-Man, but you see his face. Uh, actors are very vain like that, where they need you need to see their face. The most famous example of this was the early '90s movie or mid '90s movie, Judge Dredd yep. with Sylvester Stallone. Judge Dredd is a character like the Mandalorian, where you literally never see his face. Yet, most of the movie of Judge Dredd had Sylvester Stallone without the iconic helmet. On when the movie was remade Actor Carl Urban who played uh, Judge Dredd in the remake Was was smart enough and, and interested and invested Enough in the character that he left His helmet on throughout the entire movie You never really knew it was Carl Urban He was Judge Dredd and that's how you do it The reason yeah. I mentioned Ryan Reynolds Is Ryan Reynolds is Deadpool And yeah. whenever you see him Without his without the mask on He's got that Heridius Burn makeup on so you never really see, quote-unquote, handsome Ryan Reynolds. You know, he is Deadpool, and and Ryan Reynolds understands that about the character. Therefore, you know, it's about keeping the mask on. So I totally agree with you. He, that helmet came off way too soon. It I, should have been, you know, two, three seasons down the line.
0: I really hope that um, what you're saying about the person that plays the Mandalorian isn't true.
1: Yeah, Pedro Pascal. So apparently, allegedly, he walked off halfway through. Now, he's still under contract. And so he's still uh, the people who are saying who are debunking this conspiracy theory have said, well, he's tweeting about season two and he's participating in some of the press about season two. Well, the reality is that Disney and actresses like uh, Miley Cyrus and uh, Zendaya will tell you that Disney contracts from a legal perspective are literally airtight. Yes. So most actors, even though they're not. You know, they may or may not be involved with the production. Will fulfill their legal obligations to and contractual obligations to promote the show. But the the rumor that's being floated is that he walked off partway through, and that the back half of the season will be will have uh, freestanding episodes involving uh, Carl Weathers' character and uh, Gina Carrera's character, so Cara Dune,
0: yes. as the uh, Rebel Shark Trooper. Yeah. She will
1: she will have her own episode. And uh, Fennec, uh Shand, who was played by the great actress Ming-Na Wah, will have her own an episode. And Grief Kraga, played by Carl Weathers, will have his own show. And the big rumor that they've that they've locked down to counteract uh, Pedro leaving is that Boba Fett will be introduced. Oh and, wow! Uh, re reintroduced. Yes. So the uh, Timu Morrison, who played Django Fett apparently has filmed uh, scenes as Boba Fett and that the understanding, the rumors on the internet and in star Wars fandom is that he has been brought in to to fill the spot that Pedro is leaving open. So whether that is true or not, uh, we'll, we'll see starting October 28th, but yeah, that would break my heart a little bit. You know, his Pedro Pascal is the Mandalorian. However, from what I understand that he is not, and again, I could be wrong. I've been trying to source this out, but my understanding is he filmed some of the scenes with the helmet on and other times it's a, a, it's a stunt actor who, who uh, films the scenes with, the, with the, the suit on and that Pedro provides the voice. Uh, it's not impossible for the Mandalorian show to continue with a a new actor playing the Mandalorian. We've only seen his face once. They could go back. Disney is very very good at, at redoing uh, faces yep. from a digital point of view. They could recast with a different voice actor, and they could and you know, just keep the same stuntman in, and uh, just there are a million ways to explain that away. But it's possible to continue the Mandalorian without Pedro. You, you just don't want to see that
0: i definitely don't and i really wish that sometimes when we were doing like when you're an actor and you you love the art of acting we could kind of yeah. like realize that if you're going to be really good at something like reynolds when he plays deadpool he is deadpool you there's no doubt in your mind that he's deadpool even though no, he he's deadpool the green lantern he played a really good green lantern in my opinion uh
1: yeah see I'm a, I'm a huge Green Lantern is is my DC character, and I hated Ryan Reynolds as Green Lantern. He I realize he put his heart into it and he really did try, but he uh, he's just not. He, it was just he didn't inhabit that character the way let's say Chris Evans is Captain America or um, Ryan Reynolds is Deadpool or uh, even Christian Bale or Ben Affleck is Batman um it just reynolds just didn't do it and you know people ask me all the time well if you don't like ryan reynolds who would make a good green lantern i don't i honestly i don't really know i've it's a very that character is very personal to me so i'm not really sure who i'd want to see in that role but reynolds just never worked for me in that role i apologize to you buddy he just never uh it's good i didn't uh, didn't pull that off i'm sure he's he's happy with
0: that decision
1: He is very, he is very happy. That's one of my favorite lines in the uh, in the first Deadpool movie. He's like, "Oh, give me a suit and just make sure it's not green or animated." Yeah, just chef's kiss. Chef's kiss to Ryan Reynolds.
0: You know who would play a good uh, Green Lantern? I think uh, not to defer too much from the Mandalorian for a second, but I think uh, Samuel sure. Samuel Jackson. Samuel. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, they've got a character. They've got a character named John Stewart. It's funny. I've always liked the Jon Stewart character of Green Lantern uh, today. Just to go on a tangent for some. The DC universe uh, seems to now have as many Green Lanterns as there are uh, cultures on this planet. And Jon Stewart was the first African-American Green Lantern. And there was talk a a decade ago of uh, rapper Common playing Jon Stewart, which would have been perfect casting common would have been a tremendous john stewart if you've ever watched the green Lantern or the justice league cartoon that came out 15 16 years ago phil lamar voiced green lantern he was just perfect in it so now nowadays i think uh john david washington who was in tenant would okay. be yeah. outstanding as john stewart so and john john david washington said they asked him like has, more, you know, you, you've done some movies for Warner Brothers now. Have they talked to you about a DC Comics movie? And he said, no, I'm available. Hit me up. We'll hit him up. He's He would be great as Jon Stewart.
0: I really wish that so, uh, DC would do as much homework as Marvel does when it comes to their characters. I feel like, buddy, uh,
1: we've got a we've got a whole podcast ahead for that. So oh yeah! <laughs> All got, right, so I got a lot. I got lots to say about that.
0: <laughs> All right, so we'll <laughs> keep that aside. And I think for that one, sure. maybe we'll call Lord Fawn because Lord Fawn's been itching a podcast. Lord
1: Fawn, Lord Fawn's very good. I listened to his his Marvel casts, and uh, he is he is an expert with it without peer. Yes,
0: and I think it'd yep. be interesting to just uh, have that conversation about you know actors that played the perfect role for their particular. Uh, uh, absolutely DC, right
1: yep yep
0: but to, and i think you know
1: right, pedro it, swinging back to the to um to uh the mandalorian that was again perfectly cast uh carl weathers uh just a really cool character a really cool cat just perfect in that role gina carrero just she embodies the rebel shock trooper just an absolute you know what's funny is star wars the original trilogy until rogue one came about you never really the rebel troops were always seen as somewhat not helpless, but not the most formidable. You think back to the, the uh the troops on the, the ten of five uh or the ten of four who got overrun by Darth Vader in the first Star Wars. Yeah, uh, you think back to the, the uh troops on Hoth who got overrun, you think back to the troops on Endor who basically without Without Ewoks, assistance might have been overrun by the troops on Endor. So until Rogue One came along, you never really saw fearsome rebel troopers. They always left the sort of fearsomeness and the the sort of toughness to the to the lead characters. So that's what I love about Gina Carrero. When they introduced her as a rebel shock trooper or a dropper, as they said, as they called her on the show. Yeah, you really bought it's like I want to see more of that. I want to see more of the the rebel shock troopers. So yeah, the idea of Gina Carrero getting an episode, hopefully a flashback one, would just be fantastic. It
0: would be. But, I think she definitely embodies her character perfectly. Like, it's almost like the role was made around her. Opposed to, oh, totally, uh, totally. Role, right?
1: The actor in the show that I love more than anything, which is the greatest guy, cap- perhaps the greatest casting and this is this is a lot for me to say okay but perhaps the greatest casting in the history of television would be uh, Werner Herzog as the client oh, the idea yeah. that Werner like for people that don't know who Werner Herzog is uh, who are uh, he is a renowned artistic director he is he is about as artsy and uh, about as far away from the mainstream as you can get in the motion picture business he is known for very artistic, very offbeat, very strange, very wonderful, dramatic, interesting movies. But Star Wars is the last thing you would ever imagine this man in. And yet he was delicious in this role. It's very similar to when when, uh, Peter Cushing uh, as Grand Moff Tarkin, you know, Peter Cushing was known as uh, like a horror movie actor in the in the fifties and the sixties for the Hammer horror films, when George Lucas brought him on, people were like, "Peter Cushing, really?" But he killed it as Grand Moff Tarkin. Whereas, you know, here Werner Herzog, the the story that I've 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 heard from John Favreau is John Favro was a fan of uh, because John Favreau is a great director, a fan of Herzog, and reached out to him. You know, they they created this role as the client and they sort of said on a lark, oh this would be great if we could get Werner Herzog to do this. And people were like, yeah, Werner Herzog, yeah, good yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, good luck, buddy. <laughs> and sure enough, he they allegedly they sent him the script. He agreed to do it. He had, he had no idea what Star Wars was. Here's a, a a director working in the film industry in the 21st century is so into the art scene and the artistic side of film he had no idea what Star Wars was. He was like, what is a Star Wars? I do not know this thing. Star, Star Wars. I will do the movie. Yeah. yeah.
0: He, meanwhile, he played that role with such intensity. And like, he, <sighs> and like, it was almost like, you know, when you watch someone that's very patient and like, you know, very cunning, he played that like yeah. to a T. Like he played it up so perfectly that I was like, I'm looking back at my phone. I'm like, I don't remember this guy in any of the Star Wars. So I'm like, here I am going through Google real quick. Yeah. And I'm like, oh fuck, he wasn't.
1: <laughs> again, that's what makes again that's what makes the Mandalorian a great show. Is they're not afraid of killing off like others. I guess they've taken their their uh, tone from shows like Game of Thrones, I was just or thinking The Walking Dead, where they're not afraid to kill popular love characters. They're like, oh okay, well that's the way it goes. Well, so they killed them off, left you. Uh, I guess it's short and sweet. The thought: if you had told me two three years ago that I'd be really wanting to get a Werner Herzog Star Wars action figure. I would have said, are you on crap? Because that's the <laughs> strangest thing. Like, you're, you are you just drop some acid. Because Star Wars action figure and Werner Herzog, not the same thing. And yet, you never know. But, yeah, Werner Herzog, to me, a lot of people talk about the character of the child. And the child is brilliant and wonderful. Yeah, so Werner Herzog, as I was mentioning, it was just perfect, perfect in that role. In many ways, for for the general public, he was completely outshined, and for good reason, by the child. And I think uh, swinging back to what I said originally at the beginning of this episode about this being the perfect synthesis of Star Wars and Disney, the child epitomizes that. The child, the introduction of the child, the adorableness, the earnestness, Of the child in this show.
0: The 50 year old
1: child. (laughs) The 50 year old child (laughs) uh, is just so, he is so precious and so sweet and so kind and and just so lovable that it just, it really, really makes the show. And he is my favorite part of the show. He is um, my partner's favorite part of the show. Uh, My partner watches it specifically for the child. Uh, It's just, and again, the child has become a cultural phenomenon. Oh yeah, uh, you know it's everywhere and and for good reason. Uh, the sh- the child very much is the heart of the show, the center of the show, the emotional center of the show, and he is outstanding. And what a, like again, I I watched a lot of the, the trailers for the Mandalorian. I watched the two trailers for the Mandalorian. I I read up a lot about the Mandalorian. The introduction of the child was. Right out of left field. Did not see that coming. I don't know how much of a secret that was on the internet. I, I never heard of any reference to a baby Yoda character when, in the lead-up to the show uh, um, debuting. So when that character was introduced, just blew my mind. And I think blew the rest of the world's mind with respect to just how fun and adorable and interesting and how much you could love a character that really does not speak. Just...
0: Yes, he's definitely the Kenny of the show, if you will.
1: <laughs> absolutely, that's a great way of putting it. Um, but instead of dying in every episode, this Kenny will kill you if, you know, you just accidentally piss him off.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, well that was one of the cool things I found. So like you were saying, there was no introduction, and the way they did it was know, just so very thoughtful. And that's probably the only way yeah. you could put it, is thoughtful, because the trailers did basically base it around action and a Mandalore. You know what I mean? Yeah, So that's right, like,
1: absolutely. And then when he and, came uh, about,
0: you're like, oh. And then now you have that sense of emotion where you're like, oh fuck, you got to protect that kid. And you're like, oh wait, that kid's absolutely. fifty years old. But you're like, and no, you no. Wanna,
1: yeah, and that very, very scene when the Mandalorian you know drops off the child, and then you you are, you're filled, and it's this is why the show is perfect television. You are filled with such a sense of dread. Any show that can make you yell at the screen, yes, is good television. So when the Mandalorian dropped, and you knew this child is going to be taken away and tortured. And and dissected and who knows what is gonna to happen to this. You are literally screaming at the television, What the hell are you doing? Go back and get this kid.
0: So when he does,
1: and he goes back and he kicks ass and he literally decimates every stormtrooper in that compound to get the child, that you know, from that point the show hit its high note. You're just like, This is unbelievable. And you're so invested in the Mandalorian, you're so invested in the, the two of them. And I think that's what the tr- what makes the trailer for season two so strong, is a very simple line uh, that is where he says, where he goes, I go. And yes. then another character says the millionaire, that's what I've heard. And that bond between the two of them, you just don't ever want to see that bond broken. And they're just perfect, perfect television pairing. Well, uh, you, it's th- just,
0: what I found funny was when you see that bond first kind of invoked, is when that big yep. creature was coming after him, and he's like trying to fight yep. it. He just he can't do nothing to hold that creature back. And all of a sudden, yep. when that creature is just about to kill him, the, the little Yoda just puts up his hand and just kind of fucks and him over and just holds it. Yeah, yeah. And, and that, then that's that that it. He, trick, he's done.
1: He's perfect. And and that moment again, one of one of my favorite moments and and my partner's favorite moment is later on towards the end when uh, the group is traveling down the tunnel in the skiff, uh, trying to escape. The uh, uh, the imperial uh, soldiers and they're all waiting at the at the tunnel and uh, and uh, Carl Weathers character goes to to uh, Baby Yoda. Can you do the little thing with the hand? And he makes a hand motion. And instead of doing anything, little the child just holds up his hand and just wiggles his hand a little bit. Just perfect comedic timing. Perfect use yeah. of the character. You know, it would have been a trope had Carl Weathers character said, "Can you do the thing with the hand?" And then the child. You know, levitated or crushed stormtroopers, or did whatever. But instead of that, it's a child, and he lifts his hand and just wiggles his hand, and you're just like, Oh, like that, just perfect yeah. television. It's, so, it's like, I, I tried, but I, I don't know how he did it. Yeah, that's right. Or he's like, I'm not, you know, I'm not aware of what's going on. So yeah, the, I'm just. You want me to wave my hand? Yeah, I'll wave my hand. But yeah, just you know, and that is Disney. Like the the Disney has spent almost a century crafting emotional impact on people like they've literally perfected the psychological science of emotional impact, whether it's Bambi's mom being killed or the Lion King's father being killed. um, Their understanding of the need for emotional, this from a psychological point of view in the viewer um, that, that emotional resonance, what it takes to, to create an emotional connection with its viewers has been perfected with the introduction of the child. I always Disney was like
0: a, Disney. a recipe. Uh, it almost They're almost like a cooking channel because what you're speaking about with that emotional bond where they take something yeah. away, but they give you something back bigger later on is like, yeah. it's like a recipe book. Like when you're making cookies and you're like, if you want them golden brown and you don't want them overcooked, yeah. and you want them nice and soft, but they're warm in the middle. This is how we do it. And I swear that this Walt Disney we wrote, it. It, wrote it down right. in point form. He's like, Follow this recipe. I guarantee it'll last for centuries.
1: And it's not perfect. And, and people love to criticize Disney. And and Disney deserves some criticism, rightly so. But The Mandalorian is, is a perfect example of why Disney and Star Wars were an absolute perfect fit. And I don't think had Star Wars gone to another studio, had George Lucas um, sent Star Wars to another studio we would have gotten a movie like rogue one, or we would have gotten a TV show like the Mandalorian. Those kind of productions have residence at Disney. And, and that's why I think it's a great combination. People hate it. There are partition, partitions throughout, you know, the nerdscape all over the internet to somehow separate star Wars from, from Disney. Part of the, the star Wars fandom that I find toxic are, are the, the fandom that says, Oh, we need to get Disney out of star Wars or, You know, the nerds that said, well, we need to start a petition and and raise, uh, start a GoFundMe to have them refilm The Last Jedi. No. That makes it toxic. So let, you know, just leave it be. Disney's producing outstanding Star Wars. Enjoy it.
0: I'd almost feel like with that same conversation with Disney, I would almost take. The way that Star Trek has kind of been like um, ripped apart yeah, by two companies, good, and I would love that's to that's a good
1: contrast. Yeah, have yeah, them a good, and Again, Disney. I'm a, I'm an old time Trekkie, and uh, that my friend is another podcast too. I'd love to talk to you about yes. what's going on with Trek and uh, how it's gone by the wayside with the last few, you know, the last few years. But um, yeah, so circling back to season two with the Mandalorian, I- I'm excited beyond belief to see what's going to happen in season two. I'm a little apprehensive. Uh, I don't really know the trailer leaves a lot to to be um, discovered, okay. much like the first trailer. you know you know he's on a journey you're left with the impression that he is on a journey to reunite the child with the remnants of the Jedi. Yeah. you know from watching the force awakens so to understand the timeline, uh, the Mandalorian exists about a decade, maybe give or take a few years after return of the Jedi. Uh, whereas the Force Awakens is thirty years after Return of the Jedi, yep. so you you're left to wonder what what's happened in twenty years to the child, knowing that there's no more Jedi left that Luke Skywalker isolated himself on the island because there are literally no Jedi's left. Where and there nothing in nothing in those movies is said about the child, nothing is said about the Mandalorian, and I, again they couldn't because the idea probably was not formulated at that point. But there's such a gap. You're wondering where, you know, where is he going to take the child and what is the child's fate? And because nothing was said in the three sequel movies, there is a bit of an ominous tone. Will the child survive? Will the Mandalorian survive? Will either of them survive? Where is he taking them? You know, what uh, kind of reunion? Who can we expect? And sort of the anticipation of the journey looks spectacular. So, You know, again, there's that controversy, and if The Mandalorian will actually be in all the episodes, we don't know.
0: But the the trailer looks, yeah. One of the things that will probably light you on fire a little bit for uh, good or bad is that one of the rumors I was reading up this morning was suggesting that the child and young Luke Skywalker are going to have an interaction of some sort.
1: That would be great. And that would tie into the the Ben Kenobi uh, uh, series that is going to go into production early next year. That all that would fit into play. That all makes sense. You know that rumor makes perfect sense because Ewan McGregor is reprising his role as uh, An Obi Wan Kenobi as Obi Wan Kenobi yep. on Tatooine, and the the whole inter, intermixing a young Luke Skywalker, the child, and Obi Wan Kenobi, the Mandalorian, all those pieces. That feels like a very Disney esque thing to sort of snap these two things together. I'd love to see that absolutely I would think love that's to see why that. Disney's
0: almost one of the perfect partners to do anything that has to do with superheroes, you know Marvel totally agree. because totally they, they kind of like okay, absolutely. we own Marvel, but the way we're yep. gonna do it is that we're going to start piece by piece by piece over here, but we're not obviously mingling anything to do with you know Disney and no. Marvel Marvel is its own entity, it's a part of our enterprise, but, but that's the, it
1: the mar- the Marvel formula the how they built the Marvel Universe. If they can apply that to the Mandalorian and Obi Wan Kenobi, that would be chef's kiss. That would just be perfect.
0: I don't see why Absolutely. they wouldn't. That seems like I don't golden... see why they
1: wouldn't either. Yeah, that seems like how you. That seems like how you do it. So I want more of that. I want to see. Um, I, I want to see the Mandalorian uh, universe enlarged a little bit. I, I do want to find out what happened to some of our beloved characters. I would love to see an actor like Sebastian Shaw take over uh, as a, as a properly uh, sort of a, a series representatively aged uh, Luke Skywalker. Um, I would, those sorts of things I do want to see one of the, one of the, before I go, one of the Easter eggs, a couple of the, the fan service or Easter egg things that I loved about the Mandalorian is that fan service is a big thing for me. And uh, Star Wars is very good at providing, when they're on their game, great fan service. Whether it's Rise of Skywalker, Chewbacca finally getting his medal, something like that. So there are two two little, tiny little nuggets for Star Wars fans, questions that were finally answered. And that's regarding bounty hunters. Um, the Empire Strikes Back introduced that cadre of, of bounty hunters for just a brief second. Bounty hunters like Bossk yeah. and IG-88 they they literally never moved. They were just standing still, but you always wondered how these how what they would look like. How would they move? How would they would interact? So uh, very early on in the Mandalorian, when he went looking for the child, he was attacked by two creatures that are of the same race that that Bosk is. Yeah. So not only did the did the creatures move like reptiles, but it was just fantastic. So while you weren't introduced to Bosk himself, you got to see how his species would move and react. The same thing with IG-11. IG-11 is the same type of uh, bounty hunting slash assassin droid that IG-88 in The Empire Strikes Back was. Yes. And IG, IG-11 is another one of those characters that really cemented um, The Mandalorian as such an amazing show. His, the humanity that uh, he brought back when uh, Quill reprogrammed him to be a caregiver um, just the fact, the action sequences with him were just so amazing that the ten-year-old, you know, it brought me back to the ten-year-old me in 1980, holding my IG88 action figure, going, "So how how this guy? Like, you had no idea how this character would would react in, in the real world. To see that character or a similar character uh, interact." In the Mandalorian was just tremendous fan service for for an old time Star Wars fan like me. Just well, there's beautiful. one
0: uh, there's one more uh, piece of that puzzle. I think that uh, Disney needs to pick up. So I'm not sure if you're aware of it. I'm a bit of a gamer and uh, I have yeah. no shame in it. I'm a bit of a nerd that way. Oh,
1: I know. Yeah, I know you're a big gamer, and that's that's great, man.
0: So one of the pieces that I think that Disney can really add to the to the puzzle. I mean, when it comes to the video games part. Is not actually a video game. It's actually a movie from a video game. So back when the first original Xbox came out, there was a Star Wars game that came up and it blew up on the Microsoft Xbox, and it was Knights of the Old Republic.
1: Yeah, I've seen the trailer. So they did uh, a series of trailers. Yeah. Um, EA uh, did a uh, mini movies um, to promote uh, the games, and they were like five or six minute sequences of sort of storytelling that there weren't live game action, but those trailers are absolutely amazing. Just the the animation. And I I said to myself when I saw that, and I said that to my partner, I showed my partner uh, those trailers years ago when they first came out, I'm like, if they they don't need to have, they could do stories of, uh, you know, young Luke Skywalker, young Han Solo, young Princess Leia, Because at that point, Carrie Fisher still alive. the animation from those, from those gaming studios is so good that I would just love to see an animated star Wars movie. Like give me the Knights of the old Republic as a live action, or just pay the Montreal gaming studio who created those trailers, pay them to, to do a two hour feature. I would watch that. I'd give them my money. That's, that's where they should be going. And yeah, those those the uh, those trailers were fantastic. I know I said at the beginning I'm not a big fan of the extended Star Wars universe. I'm not, however, just from pure enjoyment phase, uh, that would be amazing. The, when that early trailer where uh, the Sith knights uh, come out of the shuttle that had crashed into the Jedi temple, yeah. there was that enormous battle. That battle sequence is just breathtaking, absolutely it, breathtaking.
0: It, it like I. It's definitely not your normal Star Wars. We're not we're not talking about, you know, Darth Vader. I mean there's no we but they it's let's talk about it lightly, yeah. but it's not the focus. And I feel like it's like that Jedi story that's not like what we've already been delivered. It's completely right. different. It's like someone that was totally dark and trying to regain and like just like they're going through it and they finally realize, Hey, wait, I was a dark Sith Lord. What the fuck happened, you know?
1: Exactly, and they need to tell those stories. Again, the Star Wars universe is so incredibly rich, and that's why 90% of Star Wars fandom loves the extended universe, and that's why there's so much hate towards Disney, because when Disney brought the franchise, they said, we respect all of the, the past 30 years and uh, and all the extended universe stories, the comic books and the novels and the games. Everything that's been created up to this point is an extended universe and it's not quote-unquote canon. Nerds get really uptight about canon. And Disney did a great thing by just saying, okay, these stories are over here. You can go back and visit them. And we may take pieces of that story and integrate them into the Star Wars universe. But they're not part of the proper Star Wars universe.
0: And that makes sense. Uh,
1: but what but what made what makes Star Wars great is you can go and tell stories like that. Like that whole Knights of the Old Republic, that story needs to be told. And, and that's something that people will watch. People love the idea of the Clone Wars. The Clone Wars, well, not my cup of tea. The Clone Wars was ridiculously successful. And, yeah. and just the fact that Disney brought it back and it was one of their highest rated and still is um, the, the final season of the Clone Wars. One of their highest rated shows it stands testament to the idea of how much people love that sort of rich universe and the possibilities that exist throughout it.
0: Before we close off there, Al, yep. I was thinking about Moff Gideon, and for some reason when yep. I when I think of him, I think of yep. uh, Darth Maul. I almost feel like they're the same, and I know they're not, but
1: they, I... they're so that's it's really interesting that um, Giancarlo Esposito. They joke that he is the when you need an actor to come in at the end of the end of the first season to uh, create an interest for the second season, you hire uh, Giancarlo Esposito. He did this with Moff Gideon and the Mandalorian, and uh, over on Amazon Prime and another show that I love called the boys. He was introduced as the head of the corporation that, that owns the superhero characters, the seven in the show, the boys, same actor playing uh, a very similar archetype. Uh, but yeah, Gene Carlo Esposito has Moff Gideon. There's so much to, to go on there about Moff Gideon and the fact that he possesses what's called the dark saber, yes. which is uh, a weapon used by the Mandalorian, and created by the Mandalorians to fight the Jedi. Why does Moff Gideon have it? At the end of the the animated series Rebels, it wasn't clear what happened to the Darksaber. Now, all of a sudden, we find that 20 years later, because um, from what I understand, Rebels takes place about 10 years before the original Star Wars. Mandalorian takes place 10 years after uh, Return of the Jedi. So there's about 20 years there. You don't know what happened to the Darksaber, and how did the Darksaber wind up in the hands of this imperial moth. Yes. So, yeah, that, again, season two will, you know, they didn't, you didn't see any of that in the trailer. No. But, you know, again, you know what's coming.
0: Oh, it's going to be so delicious. I'm so excited about it.
1: And listen, there's more, like, I'm happy to come back in uh, three, four weeks after season two has started and we can talk about uh, Mandalorian season two.
0: Great. So before then, though, we definitely got to get you with Lord Fawn so we can kind of separate the differences between the Marvel and DC universe and what very much which so. character kind of the witch.
1: And we need to talk about uh, a show called Watchmen. And okay. that was something that once some uh, Emmys and Emmys, uh, and an utterly amazing show. I'm a huge fan of uh, Watchmen going back 30 years. And uh, that's another thing that we should talk about Watchmen.
0: Definitely. I'm very interested. I'm happy to have you on the show there, Al. Yep. And I couldn't appreciate it, buddy.
1: (laughs) Yep. And uh, glad I could make this happen. Glad we could finally get together. Uh, And like I said, big fan of the show and uh, happy to come on anytime you need me.
0: Awesome. I really appreciate it. And thank you once again, Al. Folks, just a friendly reminder you can find our gear at teespring.com. We have shirts, we have face masks, we got hoodies. If you want to support us, this is the way. Yes, this is the way. Exactly. Uh, This is the way. If you want to help us out, jump on board. Please feel free. But uh, remember, always go deep. Go deep. Welcome back to GDP Go Deep, the podcast. You can find us on most forms of social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can also reach out to the cast. T.O. Big Show, Lord Fawn, Motorsports Mofo, Sturzy, Big Mikey, Astro Moon, and Sassy K. Thank you for your support and remember, always go deep.